hello. Your QL fandom uncle and auntie are here with giant sunglasses, brown liquor in a flask, a folded $5 bill to slip into your hand when nobody's looking, lukewarm takes, occasional rides on the discourse, deep dives into artistry and industry, and most importantly, simping. Lots of simping. I'm Ben. I'm Nini. And this is The Conversation. About once a season, we plan to swan in and shoot the shit on faves, flops, and trends that we've been noticing in the BL, GL, or QL industry. Between seasons, you can find us typing way too many words on Tumblr. back bitches this is season three of the conversation we're starting with korea because it's easy to get through their content this season we watched all the liquors a shoulder to cry on our dating sim an unintentional love story we're going to try something a little bit different this season on the conversation we have already recorded our reactions to these four shows and we're going to go directly into them. And then at the end, we'll come back and we'll talk to you about those four shows and a couple other things that I also watched with some sort of global reactions. That's a lot of brolic, like man energy just coming at me at once there, Ben. I don't know who, you know, women and men fight different. So it's fight night. We're going to box. That's fine. But you gotta you gotta be ready for what I come at you with the uppercut, okay? Cause you're not gonna see it coming. I've been punched in the face by women. Do I wanna know this story? Oh, it was an accident. Lesbians were mad at each other. I tried to stop them. One of them accidentally punched me in the mouth. Sounds legit. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we couldn't agree. And even when we agreed, we disagreed. So let's go. Hey there. Hello. That, that's, I feel like that's not staying in, but I said the same thing at the beginning of last season. Nah, it's fine. Just try it again. Just get it out there. Okay. Huh, huh. All right. So we are talking about Korea. There has been a lot of KBL being cranked out, and we're going to talk about as much of it as we can stuff into this. So let's uh, head out from, what do you say, Worcester first? Wherever you want to start. I put my eye black on for this episode because <laughs> Nini and I will be fighting tonight. Oh, we will definitely be fighting because I don't think we agree on anything I've been sending Thunderdome gifts to Nini all day. <laughs> Let's start with uh, all the liquors. Ben, what is all the liquors about? Excessive drinking, I guess. I, I guess I'll attempt to give a serious answer. <laughs> all the liquors is a story about an employee for a marketing team who wants to work with a local chef on a promotion for a new liquor. Han Ji Yu is the employee who tends to overindulge in food and liquor in a way that I think is supposed to make him seem like 
weirdly cute, but I find gross, who ends up stumbling drunk into Park Hee-hoon's restaurant, where he does not allow people to consume alcohol on his premises. I don't know how he's going to stay in business doing that, but that's his thing. The show moves us through this budding relationship between them because maybe Chef Kihun has a thing for GU, I guess. And they drink a lot of alcohol in the show. Park Kihun's character is maybe allergic to alcohol. They eventually manage to create a promotion for this new liquor. And I guess they end up together. It's a weird kind of flat show. I didn't hate this. <laughs> she did. <laughs> I know you hated it, but I didn't hate this. All right. So you and I, we're both from drinking cultures, right? You're from New Orleans. I am from Trinidad. We don't have open container laws in Trinidad. I don't think y'all have them in New Orleans either. We technically do we don't enforce them unless you're being annoying so i think one of the things about being from a drinking culture is that you get really annoyed by people who can't behave themselves when they're drunk so i understand why you don't like this i get it i do because that is an annoying that is really annoying <laughs> i have to annoying is the right word because like oh i'm gonna let you do your thing first because i got some things to say <laughs> but i don't hate this as a cute little love story i think that we're what we're supposed to get from this is that the marketing guy's character you know i'm not going to remember anybody's name it's fine the marketing guy's character is supposed to be a, like a bon vivant kind of character. I know that's not the way it plays to you, which I completely understand because he just seems annoying. Totally, he get is that. a drunk. <laughs> but he is—he's supposed to be this this bon vivant character. The chef has valid reasons for not liking alcohol, but he likes this guy. And that's from the beginning, because he goes out of his way to be nice to this guy when we see that he just brushes everybody else off. And it's kind of cute watching them start to like each other. It's cute. It's not, it's not going to set the world on fire. I understand why you dislike it, but I don't hate it. What I do hate is that there is a dead fish kissing. I do not like dead fish kissing. I would rather there be no kissing than dead fish kissing. I think that there are a lot of other ways that if you don't want your actors to kiss or if your actors don't want to kiss, there are a lot of other ways to release the tension that don't involve dead fish kissing because dead fish kissing is just fucking annoying. The bottom line on this is cute. For me, anyway. No, it's not cute. <laughs> Ben's like in living color. Hated it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, panel. Tens of chops. One chop. <laughs> the difference between a bon vivant and a drunk is their ability to recover in the morning. And at the point at which you are 10 bottles into hangover cure, 
passed out snoring at your desk and your coworker slash manager can smell the alcohol on you from COVID distance away and has to be like, bro, if you don't get it together, you won't have a job. It stops being cute. He's this out of it on a Tuesday? God damn. To be fair, I feel like the show gives us an explanation for that. I feel like this is not his normal behavior. Because when the show starts, he's with his friend and they're talking about how he just broke up with somebody or something like that. And he's clearly in a not great place when the show starts. So I feel like the show is telling us that, yes, he likes to eat and he likes to drink. But like this, what's happening right now, yes, it's excessive. And yes, it's not exactly normal for him. I will grant you some of that. I will give you half a point for that. Okay, so between my seven and Ben's, what, two? Six. (laughs) Six? You really are generous when you give out these points. I don't think as a BL, the show is necessarily bad. I just don't think it's good. Like, my repulsion with the show has to do with the way the drunkenness is handled in the show. One of my primary struggles with Korean media is their relationship to alcohol is super uncomfortable for me. But, like, it executes a decent enough arc. Like, the like the movements of the romance are there, even if I don't necessarily feel it, because I feel like the chef's attraction to the marketer is a little nebulous for me. Like, the marketer just seems gay and down. So, like, that's fine. The show feels flat to me, and it's just kind of bland. And I I don't know why I'm so ambivalent about this show, because I'm usually, like, I'm usually way more patient with Korean media and the whole developing BL industry they have going on. But this is, like, the first time in a while where I was like, oh, no, absolutely not. Try again. I think that's a fair critique about the not really grokking on to why the chef is interested in him. It just kind of seems to happen. It particularly bothered me because he was so, he was so intense about his no alcohol policy, no alcohol here, do not consume on premise. And then this drunk guy comes in and makes an ass of himself. And I'm like, Ooh, damn, I get it. If this is what you're dealing with, bro, I got you. And then it's like, wait, we like this guy? Why? He smells bad. But again, that's the thing, too. Like, if you make me aware that a character smells bad, I will not be able to like that character. (laughs) That's fair. This is not the first time on this podcast I have rejected a character who I think smells bad. (laughs) (laughs) So in the end, Ben and I give all the liquors between us it gets a 6.5 ben says six i say seven i put it on my watch if you're bored and have nothing else to do list they try and again like i try not to be harsh like i think unless the show itself is genuinely offensive i'm not going to give a show less than five because it was boring i give that i usually reserve sub five for shows that are offensive that come with 
that come with triggers that aren't part of the like the good storytelling to go along with it. All the liquors isn't really offensive. It's just kind of boring and mildly disappointing. I'm not going to be harsh to that. I don't like disrespecting the work that people put into projects. This doesn't feel like people weren't trying to put together a good show. It just didn't necessarily come together in the editing booth the way I think they hoped it would. And that's okay, even if I'm not necessarily being very nice to it. But the primary reason I'm not being nice to it is I've had some very difficult experiences with drunk friends. And that colors my ability to enjoy these kind of shows. And I don't think the show did a good job with it for me. And so it's a six. Watch it if you're bored. I think that's a fair assessment. Like I said, I don't hate it, but it's not setting the world on fire. So I think that's a One fair job. <laughs> okay, moving on. So next up is A Shoulder to Cry On. Two chops. Ben, what's A Shoulder to Cry On about? A Shoulder to Cry On is, is a high school BL from Korea about a school athlete who ends up falling for the kind of popular boy who also bullies him and eventually ends with them, I believe, in college in their epilogue, but for the most part works through their complicated attraction to each other that starts on a whim from one of them really screwing over the other one. I think that's like the only way I can really describe the plot because most of it is kind of internal. So it's kind of hard to describe it from a high level. I also didn't hate this. As a matter of fact, I found it quite affecting. I liked some of the things that they were trying to get at. The way that they were dealing with Dial's apathy, I guess, for lack of a better word, because Dial is kind of sleepwalking through high school. He's this national level athlete in archery, but he doesn't get any joy out of it. He doesn't seem to get any joy out of anything, to be honest. He's literally sleepwalking his way through high school. And then Taehyun kind of falls into his life. I don't know how else to describe it. Taehyun has his own demons, lots and lots of demons. I mean, who this boy is, he been through it. Let's put it that way. And he decides that he's going to, yeah, bully Dial because he likes getting a reaction out of him. It's that thing, that stupid thing that they do where they're like, well, when you like somebody, you pull their pigtails. It's this pigtail pulling thing. We should be past this as like a global society, but we're not. It shows up in stories over and over again. But that goes away fairly quickly as part of the story. And uh, I found it affecting. I did. And I can't really put my finger on what it is. I think some of it is in the acting particularly the acting for Taehyun. I think that they really got to me. Like, you can feel the pain under there. I think it's at the end of episode two that the whole thing switches into a different gear. 
because Dial and Tehan are outside of school. Like, I think Tehan is teasing Dial about something, and then this woman just comes up to him and slaps him in the face and calls him a murderer. And the whole thing changes from there. I really hate that character. I don't know how to describe this show other than to say it really affected me and I can't put my finger on exactly why. Like the story is, it's nothing new for KBL or K-drama. The story is nothing new for K-drama. The acting isn't legendary. It's solid, but it's not amazing. I don't know why it is the story affected me this way, but I... I really, I I did like it. I do think that the story pulled a few of its punches in the end, particularly when they have, they've got a couple of time skips at the end of the story. They skip over two years and skip over two more years. The time skips actually work really well, but I do think that the show pulled its punches in certain things. It, It didn't delve into certain things in the way that I thought it was going to. Like... It didn't really delve into Taehyun's recovery, I guess you would call it. I will say that I think Shin Yi Chan, who plays uh, Taehyun, does an excellent job bringing forth the complex emotions of that character. Taehyun is a character who was adopted at the age of 10, and a lot of kids that late in adoption don't really expect anyone to ever choose them. And he got really lucky and got parents who genuinely loved him despite the fact that his aunt bullied him. And it's his aunt's bullying that precipitates the events that lead to his mother's death. I get why a traumatized kid would inflict trauma on other people. It's a messed up way of exerting emotional control. I just think he needs correcting but like he he's also missing a love component in his life which makes me sympathetic to him even if i find him to be deeply frustrating the person he chooses to pick on has clearly also suffered dial does not seem to have any friends he seems to have a complicated relationship with his drunk father we don't know where his mom is and like that's the part that i think bothered me the most is You're choosing to bully one of the weakest people you could find. I tend to struggle with those particular types of stories when they execute them. And I don't think the show does a good job giving us a reason why Dayol chooses Taeyeon. Like, why is Dayol falling for Taeyeon? Because he's paying attention to him? Because he's pretty? Because he's kind of flirty? Because Dayol is discovering things in him? I think he sees underneath the exterior that Taehyun is putting out that nobody actually cares about him and that he's alone. When it turns around, he sees Taehyun get slapped by his aunt and called a murderer. Taehyun stops coming to school for like a week. The only people who care that he's not in school are the teachers, and they ask if anybody will, you know, go see if he's all right. Taehyun has friends, and they barely seem to notice that he's gone, and they don't really care. And I think Dial sees that and sees that maybe that 
Taeyeon's whole thing is bullshit. I just need to understand, like, what the protocols are in Korea. Like, a kid hasn't shown up for a week. Like, there's no, like, wellness officer to go check on this stuff. They have a fairly punitive society, and there's nobody to do, like, a wellness check on the boy. But you see, the thing with it is you're told in the story as well that Tehan is, uh, he's class president. He's really smart. He's the kind of kid that nobody thinks is a problem kid, particularly in Korea. So if he just doesn't show up for a week, they assume that there's no problem because he's not a problem kid. All right. So the fact that it doesn't occur to anybody except Dayul that he might be in trouble or he might need help or somebody to talk to or it doesn't occur to anybody else dial sees him get slapped and he sees everything that happens after that and he starts to worry when he doesn't show up after that i really hate taehyun's aunt taehyun's aunt is cruel she's not just cruel she's careless and cruel because i think i don't think she intended to be cruel when she was talking to Taehyun when he was a kid and saying those things to him, I think she was just being careless. But carelessness is a form of cruelty as well, especially when a kid's so young. I have mixed feelings about the archery coach too. I think she's a bad coach. I don't like the lack of teamwork. It feels like she encourages amongst her own players. I don't like how when the other team members talking shit about Dial. She's just like, just deal with it. They'll get over it. I just feel like she's fostered a very weird competitive environment that I don't think is conducive to these boys being able to work together. Like, I get that archery is kind of a solo sport, but damn. I've watched a fair number of Korean sports dramas at this point, so that did not ring untrue to me at all. Let me tell you, I do not need to watch Korean sports dramas then. The point that I'm trying and failing to make i think is that dial sees something in Taehyun, and the fact that he sees something in Taehyun and he goes out of his way to reach out to Taehyun at a point when nobody else is reaching out to him i think that's maybe what is sticking with me about this show i want to be there with you but I find myself deeply repulsed by stories where the bullied starts doing emotional work for their bully. And that's how, like, the bully starts to grow. Oh, just, <laughs> just bothers me to my core. And then there's, like, Wong Kyung the whole time, who's, like, being a total asshole because he's jealous that Taeyeon is paying attention to someone else the whole like, he wants to fuck Taehyun. It makes him look stupid. The show's like, Taehyun's a bully, but he's sad. Here's his backstory. Meanwhile, here's the other guy who contributed to Dayo's bullying, who's going to continue to bully him. We're not going to humanize him. He's just an antagonistic force, and we want you to hate him. Yeah, I can, I can, buy, I can get that argument. I completely agree there. They have picked and chosen obviously who matters in the narrative and who they're going to focus their energy on making us understand as part of the narrative i see that this is a purely emotional one for me it hit me right in the chest i can't intellectualize it 
I know all the reasons. I know all the everything. But I think this one, it just hit me straight in the chest. I liked Dayal giving up archery, realizing that he was using it as a terrible. I don't like him following the athlete cop pipeline. This is an ACAB podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I also don't like Korean time skips because it feels like a cop out. I don't hate this one. And the reason that I don't hate this one, well, these ones, because there are two of them. I don't think that we gain anything from seeing those intervening years. In terms of the story that the show wants to tell, I don't think those intervening years tell us anything new. And that's why in this instance, I'm not mad at the time skips. I don't like the seventh episode. I kind of wish it didn't exist. It's supposed to be like a special, I think. It's not really supposed to be an episode seven. I think it's really supposed to be a special. I think we're well, supposed to see episode six as the finale. And I, but I understand why you don't like the seventh episode because it just feels. It feels like the lamest foreplay. Just, oh my God. Like, you expect me to believe these two bitches been together for three years and this is how they are? Absolutely not. Getting into their very special pajamas to then go into the pool was the stupidest, weirdest, modesty thing I've ever seen. Yeah, it was weird. I hope this makes it into the edit. Listeners of the podcast, please contextualize this for me. I just can't stand it. It was so mind boggling as it happened. I was like. This is the most weirdly homophobic thing I've experienced in KBL in a long time. We can't put their titties out in this special, but we're going to make them get in the pool anyway. Just don't do it. Oh, my God. It's weird. I do have to admit, it was weird. I like the concept of them going on this trip as they come to the end of a journey, basically, because they're now done with college. He's done with the police academy or whatever, and they're taking a break. I get that aspect of it, but the way that it happens is just kind of... And the thing is that there there are moments where... It could have turned, but every time it looks like it's going to turn, it pulls away. And that's what I talk about the show pulling its punches. That's what I mean. You feel that there are things that they refuse to do. And the things that they refuse to do are so tame. I really want to be nice to this production because it's my understanding that the Omega X boys fought to be part of this project. And I really do respect that from them. Genuinely. It's just, I feel like this show is the promise of a good drama. Not a good drama. I feel like it pulled its punches, so I agree with you there. There are things I did like. I did like, at the end of high school, when Dial tells Tehyan how he feels. And... Tehyan rejects him and then 
tries to go back after when Dial is leaving school and saying, please don't leave me here alone. And Dial is like pissed because he's like, you don't get to do this to me. You don't get to dick me around. You know, I love a character saying to a character who is dicking him around, you don't get to dick me around. I do like that. I do like him covering his face with a towel. It's like, you always get away with things because of your face. I did like that. That was a really good line, actually. That was probably one of the best lines in the show. I will give the show that much. There were moments. There were moments. This is probably going to land up in Girl You Tried for this season. Oh. (laughs) I feel like it could have gotten there. I feel like with some nips and some tucks and some changes... I feel like it could have gotten there. I'm putting, yes, I am actually putting a specific KBL (laughs) into Girl You Tried Contention. Look at that, Korea. You're moving on up. I know. Going from all of KBL to like a specific one. Look at how you're growing. (laughs) Look at that growth. (laughs) What did you rate this show when you rated it? I rated it an eight. I liked it more than all the liquors. I liked it less than other stuff we watched. I gave this show a six as well as all the liquors. That seems fair for where you landed up on it. I think there are things of value in this. I think the Omega X participation matters. I think them trying to unpack a bully bullied romance and trying to genuinely dig into that was interesting i don't think they really found what they wanted to say but that they tried was interesting and i think the overall chemistry was really solid and the teamwork that they developed as uh band members translated fairly well to what they were trying to do with romance it's just the things that i gave it knocks for really stuck out for me and it's not something that i am going to put on my recommends list I understand why you gave it what you gave it, because you have particular squicks. So I I completely understand this one. Okay. That's the thing. Like When Koreans do bullying, it is always psychological. And it really, really gets in the, under my skin every time. The specific ways that Taeyeon bullies Dayal are just so upsetting to me. Like the lying, the manipulating the way other people see him, the isolation, the ways that they embarrass him when he's by himself. So other people are looking at him like he's a weirdo. Mm, that just, I don't like hand-waving that shit away because he's pretty and we want to fuck him. Ugh! No. Korea is way too good at bullying stories in general, I have to say. Korean bullying stories always make me feel a particular kind of way. <laughs> like, really? I get amped up and really hurt. And this one, it felt different. Not the same. I don't know how to parse that other than that. Not better or worse, just not the same. Moving on to the main event of tonight's fight night. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking about our dating sim. Ben, what's it about? 
Our dating sim is a runaway slash second chance romance about an artist and illustrator who joins a small gaming company and runs into the guy he ran away from, only to find that this guy has been looking for him and actually reciprocated his feelings all those years ago. And now the two of them need to unpack what happened between them. The big thing with this show versus a lot of the other types of second chance shows we usually get, this is an incredibly upbeat and positive show the whole way through. Even when it's dealing with the things that are kind of heavy. I give this a solid meh. I'm sorry. Ben loves this. I. It's okay. It's okay. There are things that I like about it, but it is not, for me, something to write home about. The things that I like about it, the things I always like about these kinds of stories, which is that the person who is left behind is given the chance to be angry about their friend running out on them. So I like that. They're cute. They're sweet. I feel like the show didn't go as deep as it could have gone into some things. Like, obviously, the illustrator one left the love interest guy, Kite. He left him with a serious sense of abandonment and some kind of abandonment trauma emanating from that that was only touched on in the drama it doesn't go any deeper than that the conflict doesn't feel meaty to me and i like i said okay it's it's fun it's cute but it doesn't feel like there's something there for me to sink my teeth into all right let me have it i've been waiting all night for this (laughs) (laughs) this show is perfect All right. All right. Coming out, coming out the corner, swinging. All right, Ben. Coming out that corner, swinging. This show is perfect. It's perfect for me because of things we talked about during our second chance episode. As I said in the spring season, no one does more damage to queer kids than queer kids who have been infected with internalized homophobia. And Juan runs away during a transitional moment of his life when he's also in crisis. Because they establish, they don't establish, they just mention that Juan has to move in with his aunt because his parents are going through bankruptcy. And then his parents are just never mentioned in the show ever again. Implications unpleasant. And... Then he's he's about to be enlisted as well. And so he decides to express his feelings to his closest friend, who he's been crushing on for clearly a while. Because he's a melancholy artist, he's telling himself that this is just in his head. All the little vignettes about the game over the at the end of each of the episodes tells us that Kite has been into him the whole time. Like, we can see it because we're the audience and we have eyes. But Juan doesn't know if it's just play 
or not. He doesn't know. I've been on that side of the board. And so he's prepared to be rejected. And he's already primed to run away because his life is falling apart. He can't take any more L's at this point. It's really unfair what he does to Gite by springing a confession on him, trying to kiss him. And then when Gite is surprised, he didn't, he didn't respond with revulsion. He was surprised to have someone suddenly in his face. And his instinctive reaction was to back up. But Juan raised that as a rejection and runs and panics and then punishes both of them for seven years as a result. I like it because I understood it immediately. And what I like so much about this compared to other runaway romances is Gite has been looking for Juan the whole time. And he succeeds at finding him and is the one who reels him back in. And he plays his gingerness about reeling him in really well. He doesn't know why Juan ran away, and he really wants him to stick around. But I also like that he gets to be passive-aggressive about it the whole time. He found Juan through his blog, convinced his team to hire him to work on their project. He's the kind of friend you want to have who's working in a creative space and brings you on board to a cool project to help you advance your career, too. He brings Juan in on the project, but he's being kind of a bitch about it from the beginning. Like, we're going to be on this project for three months. Are you sure you can stick around? You're not going to run away in the middle of it because something comes up? I love that. I love when the one who was abandoned gets to be a bitch about it because they deserve it. I like the way Gite's anxiety about Juan comes out over the course of the show. And I like how he's so forward about his attraction to Juan the whole time. Because a part of him thinks that maybe he shouldn't have held back. Maybe he should have realized his feelings sooner. Maybe he should have been more honest with Juan about their friendship. He's clearly been thinking about how he maybe messed up seven years ago. And his response to that is, there will be no misunderstanding this time. He will know that I like him. There will be no secrets. Like He reveals fairly early that he was the Game Boy person messaging him on his blog the whole time. He wants him to know that he's been looking for him. He doesn't know what went wrong seven years ago, but he does not want him to go away this time. And I just really, really like Shengi Tei a lot. And I like watching Juan recognize that he's the villain of their story. And the way he has to eat that shit sandwich himself, he has to move himself forward. Like, he doesn't tell Gite about the job offering that might pull them apart. He's not going to inflict that on Gite because it's not fair, because he knows Gite is good. Gite's the kind of person who would encourage Juan to go on that endeavor because it's important to him to advance himself as an artist. And he would choose to suffer on their behalf. I like that Juan handles that himself. And I like that the narrative rewards them 
for Juan making that choice by him getting a better kind of opportunity that allows them to extend their professional relationship together. The last thing I really love about this versus a lot of the other sort of reunion romances we get a lot is very rarely do these shows really execute on the falling back into your old dynamic thing really well. And I like how after they have their first little park date, which is excellently done, they go back to Gite's apartment and Gite's just playing games on his own TV now. And Juan's <laughs> reading manga because that's what they did as kids. And that's what they used to do when they felt most comfortable around each other. And they talked about how that's how they used to feel comfortable around each other. And they talked about how they were clearly horning after each other during that part and then start to fool around a little bit. It's just so really lovely the way all of these elements are used. And they don't waste our damn time in this show. Like the show knows it has a short runtime and is getting to the the meaty moments with purpose. Also, these boys can kiss, and they were enthusiastic about it. And the, like they still talk about it. They they talk enthusiastically about the work they did together. I love this show. I, I literally wrote for a ten. This show has everything. I adore it. For queer reasons more than BL reasons. For romance reasons. That's why I was mad about it. And this is probably one of the things where we're going to always come to some disagreements about certain kinds of shows because of the different lenses that we're approaching them with. And that's one of the things about BL. For me, I'm approaching it coming from the world of romance. You're approaching it coming from the world of queer cinema. So we're going to have some different takes on a lot of these shows. And that's one of the reasons that I wanted to do this episode. Since we had so many disagreements, I don't think we've ever disagreed this much about I know. I, this is the most we've been like, you're wrong, sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, th- this is why. Because, because we're coming at it from two different lenses. There are things that we both liked about each show and didn't like about each show. And I wanted to kind of lay that out, but particularly in response to this, because you were so amped about this show. The rest of the shows were kind of like, I wasn't like huge about either of them, but this show you were strong on. Yes, this is a 10. And I watched it and I was like, eh, well, yeah, maybe like an 8.5. I see everything that you're saying it doesn't hit me in the same place that it hits you. And that's where the bottom line is, I think, and why we disagree on this show. It just hits us in different places. I see everything that you're saying about the way that Kite and Juan interact and the reasons that you have for really enjoying. I, I did enjoy their park date, but for me, it was just cute. You have a whole different set of lenses and histories that you're bringing to that and that's why for you it feels different i did enjoy for example the fact that gite was so vocal when one comes back into his life about being like hey i like you i'm not giving you a chance to misunderstand that this time but i'm also pissed at you for misunderstanding it the first time because you didn't even give me a chance like you came at me 
And then you decided that you knew what was happening when I didn't even say anything. And then you ran away from me and you kept running away from me. And I had to find you. And I'm pissed about that. (laughs) Like he was genuinely pissed. And I did enjoy that a whole lot. You know, so like I said, for for you, it's a 10. For me, it's an 8.5. It still winds up to a good show. It's just the way in which it hits us is two different ways. I think the reason why I love it so much is I talked about this before, about how queer people don't get to have the coming of age romances that straight people get to have. Like We don't get to carry our crushes books home. We don't get to hold hands in the mall and that kind of stuff. What I like about this show is how giddy Gite and Juan are about the chance to try. I like the fantasy of these two getting to have those moments because they've been waiting for each other the whole time. Not the whole time. Kite did try dating somebody else, and I did like that. I love that as a detail. I tried to be with someone else before I realized what was going on, and it didn't work because they weren't you. Like, Gite feels like he's going through therapy. I don't know if he feels like he's going through therapy, but it feels like he's he's remarkably well-adjusted. I will say that. So maybe that's what you mean by him feeling like he's been through therapy. The way that he communicates. That's why I love him so much. But I really love that. Like the show knows it doesn't have a lot of time. So we need Gite as like, I guess, the pursuer of this story to be forthright about these things. And like, I think that's part of what I like too. Like in terms of like the Seme and Uke thing, like that's kind of played in a way that's enjoyable here. Because like Gite is technically the Seme because of he's the active pursuer of this one. And like from a Yaoi standpoint, is he always on the left? Let me go look at their poster. He is on the left. Ah. See, I pay, Ooh, I pay attention but they now. Flip it. They flip it, actually, in the poster. They're, they have two photos of them. and They're on either side. It's interesting because they have Juan on the left in high school. And Gite is on the left when they're adults. Interesting. Oh, interesting. And what's what's interesting is like, like Juan is basically punishing both of them because like he wanted to be pursued. That's the punishment that happens here because he's stepping forward into the role he's not supposed to be in. The narrative has to punish both of them because they are refusing to follow their roles. And then there's like some subtle play for that that happens for me because I really hate time skips in K drama. Period. But this one is done well because they secure working together and staying together. And then we get a flash forward a year with a nice pan of some couple photos they have. They clearly have a comfortable dynamic now. And there's a very suggestive butt pat that Juan does to Gite that, again, plays with some of these perceptions and expectations of these boys in genre that also really works for me interesting i've been paying like more attention respect the petty got to write about green boys and that has been a whole lot of fun to read about i'm not going to repeat her words here because i don't want to be that kind of creator but i highly recommend you go read respect the petty's commentary on our dating sim 
in the end, I do like this. So we're not a million miles apart. Maybe a mile and a half. I think we could do a mile and a half, can we? I'm like waving a flag. And she pulls out her binoculars to see what I'm talking about. And it's me holding a picture of both of these boys and giving her the finger. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Alright, let's here's some higher level commentary that I really want to also do. Uh this has been a really weird about year for me with BL. Like like actual, like not just start of the year, like the last full year of BL has seen BL trying to move beyond high school, but not really knowing how to do that. They, they keep wanting to flash back to high school because the, it feels like the genre doesn't know what to do without high school. BL doesn't seem to know how to do the, we want to give some high school context for these guys coming back together, but we want the show to be about them as adults. And this is the first show that I think has used the little bit of time it devotes to high school really well to support the adult story that's happening. All of the past scenes with the game, the gamification of it works really well for me because they're working on a dating sim as well. And a lot of creators pull from their experiences when they're working on these sort of things. So I kind of like that some of their work, like Juan's work with his blog and Gite's work with his dating sim, is both of them trying to work through this broken romance between the two of them. And I like how when we're doing these high school flashbacks, there's this whole consternation with both of them of what if I had chosen the other option when we were younger? Would things have gone differently? Would we not have had to go through this? And that works really well in terms of the angst of them trying to figure out what should they have both done with the other person, while also giving us a clear sense that these two have always been really fond and they should have just been together. And that also works for me because, again, like I'm the homo of the podcast. And there's so much of maybe we should have just been together with guys that I am starting to run into as an adult now. And I'm having a lot of weird feelings as I run into these guys sometimes. I always love talking to you about this stuff because I often don't think about these things. And you make me think about these things. So thank you. <laughs> Pulls out a new poster. <laughs> Points at Shinkite. Best boy. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. I like Juan trying to let go as an adult and allow Gite to care about him. I like how... Like, the part of him that doesn't believe it's happening is something he has to let go. There's a moment in about episode five, I don't remember them that cleanly, because they're so short. It's after they kissed, I believe. It's the first time Juan says something kind of flirty to Gite, and it's like, if you like me, you can have a crush on me for a little while longer. That was a really fun moment for me, because it's clear that Juan just basically shut himself down the last seven years and i really like seeing a wounded queer character come back to life and he's not mean to gite about what happened he's just uncomfortable 
because he doesn't know what's going on. And like, that's the problem. Like he never knew what was going on. He was too in his own head. That's again, the artist problem. It's why Gite is literally shouting at him. Like, I like you, bro. And it's like, what if anybody sees us? Good. They should know you're mine. <laughs> I like that. He's like, what about homophobia? Nuh-uh. I done work too damn hard. I ain't worried about that. One thing that they seem to sort of put their toe into, but didn't really explore, were the friends. When Kite goes to meet their friends from high school and he tells them, oh, yeah, you know, I ran into one again. That was a weird moment for me. I wasn't quite sure what the purpose of that particular gathering was. That scene reads to me as... They haven't necessarily spoken it out loud, but they know that Juan and Gite were very close and that Gite was not okay after Juan left. The one friend, the one who's sitting on the right when we're looking at Gite, clearly does not like Juan for hurting Gite the way he did because he was salty about him showing back up. He was like, I had to help put you back together. We sure we're letting this person back in? I kind of liked that. I agree with you in that regard. Like, the show didn't go far with a lot of its ideas. But I'm not going to punish the show for being short because it uses its time well. I can see where we had time to explore other threads in this whole company. Like, the fact that Sonny clearly knew the whole time. I don't feel like I needed to get more from the Sunny situation. You know what I mean? Like Sunny obviously knew she kind of helped push one towards Kite. Like all that was good. And I got it. I didn't need any more of that. And I didn't need any more of the clueless boss being clueless. I didn't need, there's a whole bunch more that I just got just enough of it. But I feel like when it comes to something like Kite's feelings about everything because it's clear that there's still a lot that he is holding back and it does come out in bursts so it comes out when one gets the offer from the company to go abroad and things kind of start to go a little wibbly because he's not talking to Gite about it and Gite knows that something is up and he's panicking essentially because he feels one slipping away from him again and you get a little bit of what's happening in his head there but i feel like that's not explored as deeply as i wanted it to be i'm okay with it because the show was so short i don't want to knock the show because it didn't have more time than i wanted it to have i got what i needed to understand the character i get what you're talking about like it feels like the big romance moments happen off screen and I know that that's, I think that's what you're irritated by. Partially, yes. But I think for me, for a lot of us homos, all of our shit happens in the dark and in small gestures and in the unspoken. So I don't mind these things kind of happening off screen because for a lot of us, these things technically do. Like we don't have courtship gestures that announce the attraction per se. It's all innuendo. And maybe that was more than what I thought it was. 
And so I'm not bothered about it with these two. I get it. Final reviews. Nini, what did you give this show? Our dating sim, let's call it an 8.5. I gave us 10 because of all of the queer stuff that I really love in this. A little bit of this is also just how much this crew and the cast really liked this show. I had genuinely hoped that these two work together again. Like, I really hope that BL actors work together again, because I don't want to be one of those kind of fans. But these two seemingly really enjoyed their chemistry. They talk very openly about the way they approached even some of their intimate scenes about how they they didn't necessarily fully script all of their kissing. Like there was some talk beforehand. The directors are giving them some requests for angles while they're doing it. And they're mostly responding to the crew cheering them on the whole time when they're kissing. And that is such a lovely image. I just love the whole experience of watching this. So it was a 10 for me. It will be watched many times. I think this is one of Ben's new comfort shows. It it is. (laughs) Moving on to Unintentional Love Story. Ben, what is Unintentional Love Story about? I feel so much pressure to get this one right because... Nini loves K-drama so much. So, Unintentional Love Story is a small town and also somewhat of a workplace romance between Jiwon Young and Yoon Tae-jun. Jiwon Young has been recently fired from his position at his company because his superior was caught up in some sort of corruption scandal and his name came up along the seems pretty certain that he wasn't involved in that because the character has so much integrity but regardless he has been fired for now he decides to take a trip to sort of figure his life out because as a modern man he has a ton of debt and does not know what his life is going to look like while he's in this small seaside town he runs into a potter who he recognizes as a famous potter that his CEO of his company really admires, who's basically disappeared from the art scene and honestly the world for the last couple of years. He calls his assistant manager and he's like, hey, I found old boy. And the assistant manager says, we can probably get your job back if you manage to get him to sign a contract with our company. So he ends up trying to befriend Taejun, even though Taejun's using a different name. I don't really want to get into that part. And eventually ends up working for a coffee shop and as a barista for a man named Kim Dong-hee, who is also Yoon Tae-jun's like only friend that he's made in this town. Over the course of the show, Yoon Tae-jun begins to feel a sense of caring for Ji-won Young. And there's this very well-executed, if kind of slow, growing romance between them that's kind of founded on this mutual desire to be kind to each other that I actually think works really well before typical uh, K-drama conceits come into play to break them up, which I actually think are pretty well handled. Of all of the shows that feature breakups, I think the breakup around the fact that Won Young didn't reveal why he was trying to be friendly to him plays out really well. 
I have some other commentary about the side couple, but Nini, you have much more to say on this since you're far more familiar with the common beats of K-drama than I am, because I struggled with this one for like the first eight of ten episodes. This is the first KBL that I've ever seen that felt like a K-drama. One of the things that K-drama does really well is these small town romances. Somebody leaves Seoul and goes out to like some small town, usually near the beach or something like that. And they fall for some guy who is like hiding away there or something like that, basically. K-drama generally does this type of show really well. It's usually like a cast of strange characters that they eventually form this found family. And there's a lot of really solid K-drama beats in this show. There's good performances by the main characters and the side characters. If you like K-drama, if you know K-drama, if you like K-drama, this show is really nothing new, but you will enjoy it. Taejun is a wealthy artist with daddy issues, <laughs> which is very K-drama. And he's basically run away from the world because it's too materialistic and he is living in this small town and he gets to feel more authentic and he gets to just do his art and fly under the radar and nobody's you know interfering with his life and making him feel nobody's making him feel like he's like has all this pressure to live up to because he's famous or whatever because he's he's not just famous in his own right but he's also the son of a famous artist so there's two levels of pressure to it there. So he is basically hiding out under an assumed name in this small town. He's got one friend who is the barista slash cafe owner. One young kind of comes into his life because one young is staying at a pension out in this small town and he breaks a plate that the um, landlady like gave him food on he breaks the plate by accident and he's like oh god i gotta replace this plate so he figures out where to go to replace this plate he runs into the guy he figures out who he is and he decides this is how he's gonna get his job back which is strangely mercenary for him considering how much integrity he has as a character and it's pretty obvious from almost the first frame i think in his mind he was just going to try to befriend the guy and then convince him to try it out. But things, in his defense, things get complicated very quickly because Taejun is gay. <laughs> I like this man. And is kind of flirting with Won Young the whole time, even if he's being grumpy about it. I don't know. Does it feel does it feel like he's flirting from jump? Because I feel at first it's just a kind of a oh go away kind of thing and he's trying to intimidate him at first. I think flirting is the wrong is the wrong term, but he's definitely intrigued by Won Young. I suppose. But his his initial reaction to Won Young is, oh my god, please go away. <laughs> that is true. That yeah, it, it's please go away. 
I mean, I'm sure you're nice or whatever, but I am a bear in a cave. I don't want to be close to anybody. Please go away from here. I think for one young, things get complicated because he just starts to develop feelings too. And the not telling thing went on way longer than he wanted. It just sort of happened because he knew that Taejin was prickly. And if he was like, hey, I'm here to recruit you for this thing, Taejin would have just blocked him. I think things definitely escalated beyond his control because I think the point at which he could have said something just passed. And the longer they spent time together and then they started getting involved and he started to fall for him, it just became harder and harder to say anything. And then there was definitely the point where it was like, well, if I say anything now, this is over. Right. Once he learned about the ex, he felt so bad. Yeah. He felt shit about it. But the thing is that it goes from that feeling of, oh, God. This is, I should tell him, because you can, how you can track how Won Young is feeling about the whole situation is through the series of phone calls that he has with his manager back in Seoul, the guy that he's trying to get his job back from. So the guy that he's interacting with at his old company trying to get his job back, the way that that progression of phone calls goes, because at first he's like, he's on it, he's reporting back to this guy. And then as he starts to get closer to Taejun, he starts avoiding his calls. When he does answer his calls, he tries to get him off the phone as quickly as possible. He doesn't really want to talk about what's happening. He starts trying to explain Taejun's side of things more. You can tell how he's feeling at any stage by the kind of conversation he's having with his assistant manager. And in the end, how the whole thing falls apart is that basically now he's begun outright avoiding this guy. So the guy decides that he's going to take matters into his own hands and come to the town and find the guy's workshop or whatever and try to talk to him to convince him because clearly Wan Young isn't getting it done. And that's how the whole thing unravels. That he comes there and basically tells Tejun everything. And whew, that is uncomfortable <laughs> when the whole thing goes down i felt Tejun's complete collapse let me tell you that scene where he goes to one young's room and he gives him a chance to say what maybe needed to be said and then he says okay and then he leaves the room and i'm like oh and then he immediately comes back in the room and throws him onto the bed i was like Oh, shit, girls! We're really in it now! It's just like, oh, shit, how is this gonna go? Because <laughs> it could have gone several ways at that point. But in the end, he's just like, so you're using me. And, like, the way the actor who plays Won Young, I think he's an idol. He is a South Korean idol and the youngest of a boy band, B1A4. I was actually really impressed with his acting in this particular scene. Because the way that he starts shaking, it's like really he's good. trembling because Tejun is enraged and Young knows he's in the wrong and he's terrified that he's going to lose this thing that he's found. Because this isn't, I mean, he doesn't just fall in love. This is also a queer discovery and acceptance story as well. It works really well because Tejun is so considerate. 
and careful and gentle. He's a potter, so especially with his hands, he always handles Wan Young in a way that's very careful. And so to have him throw him like that, you could still feel like he was on the edge of his own restraint at that point. It works really well because the character is so controlled to see that control slipping. There are things about this show that I'm just kind of like, okay, I mean, there's dead fish kissing and... Taejun, I have a petty, petty gripe that Taejun's makeup makes him look like a 300-year-old Anne Rice vampire. <sighs> he looks like he looks like Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise in the original interview with the vampire. The makeup is bad. I think this is an older actor as well, so they're trying to make him, I don't know. He's 32, Nini. In Korea? I know. In Korea. <laughs> In Korean BL, 32 is ancient. They really, like, slather him in the pancake, and it's distracting a little. I feel like what they were trying to go for with him was this kind of rumpled, sexy artist energy, but Korea is so polished that even when they're going for rumpled, sexy artist, it's too polished, it's too clean, it's too just so. So I see what they're trying to go for with him. I feel like that part didn't quite land, but the acting makes up for a lot of the gripes that I have. And so does the writing. This is a well-written show. And of course, with Korea, you're also going to get good production quality. I like it. I like the show. It does have some niggling bits to it, but I did quite enjoy it towards the end it starts to wobble a little bit for me because it does that k-drama thing (laughs) it starts to drag a teensy 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 bit at the end but other than that if i had to rate it i would give it a nine so before i get deeper into this i want you all to know i also gave this show a nine so while i have some things to say know that i liked this i admittedly struggled with this out of the gate I have said before on here that I generally have struggled with K-Drama. I don't always feel the pacing of it all. I often feel like I'm out of step where some of these beats are going. And things that are often set up, particularly with supporting characters, are usually left unfinished. And this seems to be somewhat intentional. And it is taking me a while to get used to that. They do it kind of here with Dong-Hee and Hote who don't necessarily work for me totally because they don't meet my side couple criteria the way I want them to. I'm hoping you have a a useful perspective for me. What I did like about the show was how assured about who he is as a person uh, Taejun was, particularly when it came to his queerness. It was not something that he was unfamiliar with. He's not struggling with his desire at all. He's mostly just curious about how much he should allow himself to care about Wan Young, which is such a relief for me because that's kind of where I exist as a gay man at this point. Is I meet people and it's like, oh, I could like you, but is it worth it? I liked Wan Young's sort of matter-of-fact form of discovery 
And I like the way most of their physicality plays out. I know that Gong Chen was concerned about people's gripes about the kissing because this was the first time he kissed someone on screen. And I don't think Korean studios do a good job helping the actors prepare for physical chemistry at all. I think they're just relying on the actors being good. And it tends to flop when they do that. So I don't want to be too harsh on this because Gong Chan has felt, has expressed like a sense of embarrassment and concern about it because he sees that people weren't necessarily thrilled about it. And I think it's okay for this particular story. I wasn't thrilled about it, but I also wasn't mad about it the way I tend to be. Mostly because of the experience gap between the characters and what they're setting up for the show. It's not great, but it isn't offensive. And so, for all that I don't like dead fish kissing in romance, period. It's something I kind of expect from Korea in general. And I think the show is fine. Where I struggled with this show is actually the typical struggle I have with romance plots between heterosexuals in general. Wan Young is often at his best when he's not around Taejun. And I kind of don't like that. Like, this often seems to be a real struggle for romance in general, where. One of the partners is always cool, and the other one takes a half step back when they're around their partner. It made Wan Young feel kind of like a female lead to me, because when he goes back to his job and starts whooping everybody's ass in the final two episodes, I was totally down with the dude. And when he's running around handing out coffees to people, he's great. When he's tutoring Hote. He's great, but every time he gets around Taejun, he feels wobbly is the term you use. Like, it's appropriate because he's got complicated feelings for him that he's sorting out. So, like, it works, but it also kind of frustrates me because I like to see people, like, especially when they've been wobbly, be confident around their partner. I feel like it works because, as you said, for the majority of the show, he's got these complicated feelings about Sejun. When they do get together, yes, I mean, the kissing is bad. The kissing is very often bad in Korea, not just in KBL, but in K-drama. They're getting slowly better, but it's usually not great usually for me Korea can get away with it because their other intimacy and skinship is really good I mean they never they're never gonna go for the the high heat stuff I don't think but in terms of the general intimacy between characters and how that's portrayed physically the couple play is usually quite good I liked their intimacy once they get together because when it's really when it's new in the beginning you can get that sense of them kind of figuring out what touches are okay what things are okay to see how close it is to get to each other and that i'm seeing it through the lens of both one young being somebody who it doesn't seem has ever been in a relationship of any kind and as well the additional leap that he's making in understanding himself that he is 
in love with a man and what that means in Korean society and all that. So he's he's working through multiple levels to get to a place of intimacy with Taejun. And I feel like I can see him doing that mental work. He's like, okay, well, how okay is it to touch like this? How okay is it to... You can see him doing that that mental work through the relationship, through the way that they're building their relationship. There's a great scene where Won Young becomes one of Taejun's pottery students because Taejun runs his pottery class in the town. And he becomes one of the pottery students when he's trying to get closer to Taejun. And eventually he ends up staying with Taejun for plot reasons that work mostly. And Taejun allows him into his studio and he starts showing him how to throw pots on the pottery wheel. So there's a scene where he's on the pottery wheel, Taejun is showing him how to use it, and he's basically enveloping him. It's a surprisingly hot scene for all that nothing happens in it. But I like the physical intimacy that is being built in there between them. And you can see like him mentally going, because this is before he has accepted the way that he feels. So you can feel the sense of comfort and discomfort at the same time that he is mentally working through the whole time that he is throwing this pot and Taejun's got his arms around him and his hands on his hands. And you can see him working through it in real time. Am I comfortable with this? I am comfortable with this. Why am I comfortable with this? You can you can see it sort of happening. And I I did enjoy watching that process happen in the character. I like that Taejun also understands, it seems, that Wan Young is working through these things and figuring these things out. So he'll press forward and step back. I like the dance of it. I do. And I like how it how the dance of it works for the characters, where they are in their minds about the way that they feel about each other and their level of acceptance of the way that they feel about each other. This show ends up working for me because the conceits hold for the whole time. And everything that should happen in a story like this does play out. So the subterfuge about why Won Young is here can't hold forever. That is broken. Taejun's response to that is completely in character, as is everyone else's determination helped him out. And that's kind of why I don't get super harsh about Hote and Dong Hee, because they end up kind of weakly supporting a lot of things going on. So like Donghee and Taejun haven't had really great experiences with being gay. Uh, Hote hasn't really been able to express that in a way that's really useful because the only person he seems to have these feelings for is Donghee, who maybe feels complicated about possibly being with him because of the sense of familial respect he has for Hote's mom. Donghee needs to be here to be a fellow queer, to push everyone else to do what they need to do in their own gay relationships. It ends up being really satisfying for me towards the end because Taejun, as a point of context before I explain this part, Taejun feels like he's like early mid-30s and Won Young is like 25. So this is two adult men dealing with some of their issues. And I think, like, Taejun's whole, like, I'm going to punish you by giving you what you want is my favorite petty thing that someone has done in a breakup in the last 
eight years of BL experience. It was so petty, so perfect. I was so satisfied. I'm like, hell yeah. Send him back to that nasty ass job. And then he gets to that job and everybody is awful because Taejun never got the full story because Wan Young panicked and really couldn't tell him. What's so great about that is when they start to reconcile, Taejun feels bad because he didn't realize what he was sending Wan Young back to. And he's like, I just wanted you to suffer a little bit by sending you back. I didn't realize I was sending you back to people who were going to be professionally bullying you. I really liked that. Like, it's a gentle reminder to the audience. It's like, you can be petty, but there are consequences that are always unintended when you do these sort of things. I liked Wan Young defending himself in his job. I really liked that Taejun supported him at getting back at the manager and asserting his place back in the job properly. I, I really liked that they became, it felt like they became a team towards the end in a way that felt very satisfying. I like the ending. I feel a lot nicer about the show now than I did while watching it because I was talking to Nini almost every week about how kind of like bored and impatient I was feeling with it. And I feel like a lot of that is me, one, not being used to K-drama romance. Two, not seeing the sort of traditional romance beats that I get out of regular like novel romance in like my BL world and just not really translating that appropriately because like from a romance standpoint, we had all of those traditional beats at the exact times they're supposed to come up. But I feel like in so many ways, my brain has been trained by BL for different pacing for some of these things. So I got a little impatient with some of the beats while we're talking about the, the Korean drama type of KBL we're heading into. I would like to get some of your thoughts about the Hote character and his role in the story, since you're more familiar with Korean beats than I am. There's always a character like this in one of these small town romance K-dramas. It's kind of like the screw-up character, the misunderstood screw-up character. That's what Hote is. And they're almost always carrying a torch for somebody in the in the town, in the group, in the whatever. The way that this plays out here, and you get more of this towards the end, like this isn't really seeded through the story. Like you see Hote's feelings for Donghee seeded throughout the story until the point where he actually says them out loud. And then he and Donghee start this dance. And the reason that the dance is ongoing is because you find out at the end, at the very, very end, which is a weird pacing choice to me, but that Donghee, his dad, used to beat him and kicked him out, I think, for being gay. And Hote's mom is the one who used to take care of him and then who kind of took him in. So the way that he feels about himself because of everything with his dad and then the way that he feels about Hote's mom, I feel that the reason that he can't lean into the way he feels about Hote is twofold. One, 
because while Hote was figuring himself out, he was really a Hote. Like, there was a lot of girls while Hote was figuring himself out. And Donghee's kind of like, no, can't do that. But also, there's a weird internalized homophobia to it where he feels like he can't do that to Hote's mom. He can't be with Hote because that would be making Hote like him and he doesn't feel like he is anything to be proud of or whatever because of his dad and everything that happened with his family. So it's like this weird internalized homophobia where he's like, I can't do that to your mom. I can't, in his mind, make you gay. I got that that was what they were doing. And it is one of the reasons why I knocked a full point off the show. While that felt believable, I just didn't know what they wanted to do with it. It frustrates me because there's this whole thing about Wan Young's earnestness sort of pushing everyone else forward out of the corners that they're all sitting in. And like he manages to do that with Taejun and he manages to do it with Hote, but it doesn't feel like he ever succeeded at pushing Dong Hee out of his corner. And that left me feeling a little unfulfilled. But I feel like that is realistic for where we leave the show because it's going to take a lot more than what's already happened in the narrative for Dong Hee to come out of his corner because Dong Hee is much more damaged than any of the other characters. And that's what I'm saying. It's weird because you only see at the end like how truly damaged he is, but he is far more damaged than any of the other characters. So it's going to take a lot longer and a lot more. So what you see at the end is you see the beginning of his process where he lets Hote hug him. He sees everything that happens with Tejun and Wan Young and he thinks to himself, okay, maybe, maybe I could have something like this. I can appreciate that. It's the rare time when I'm the one kind of mad that something is a little unfinished. Because normally I'm far more accommodating for that in the end of these shows than Didi is. But it's the one time where it bugged me because there are a lot of things kind of hanging over them. And I kind of wanted a little bit more resolution. Like, it's fine. But it is... It's one of the minor knocks I'm giving this show. And like I said, I'm giving it the minor knock for doing sort of like the female lead thing, the one young that has always bothered me in all writing. But other than that, I think this show was really, really unique in terms of where Korean BL offerings have been for a while. The only thing that I think comes close to feeling as K-drama-esque is maybe light on me. There have been hints that KBL is going to start to lean into its K-drama side of things. I mean, we got hints of that with as much as I didn't like it, the director who buys me dinner leaning into a certain kind of... No, leaning into something else that K-drama does really well, which is these historical slash fantasy magical realism time travel-y immortal stories because there are more than a few k-dramas that kind of tackled that 
whole dynamic. So you can see KBL trying to lean closer to K-drama in terms of the stories that wants to tell. And in that, I think Korea is the lane that it's maybe struggling to get into for KBL is to make K-dramas just with two male leads rather than it being a specific genre that looks at queerness and everything in a particular way more like okay let's make a k-drama it shouldn't matter whether the leads are a man and woman or a man and a man or woman and woman that's i feel where k-drama the direction k-drama is starting to lean in i don't know if that's where they're going to end up but i feel like that's the direction that they're exploring right now so you get things like the director who buys me dinner and like this I think Respect the Petty made an observation that I kind of wanted to see what your thoughts are on. She commented that for her, it feels like something that the KBLs are experimenting with is taking the standard K-drama character alignments for the romance where the female lead has two different men to choose from and just removing the girl from that dynamic entirely and then just having the two guys look at each other. That's interesting, and I'm probably going to have to give that some more thought, because K-drama does love a triangle, and uh, sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. A lot of times, they're actually really good. Like, second lead syndrome is a thing for a reason in K-drama. I don't know that I've ever looked at it in that particular way. Yeah, I'm going to have to give that some more thought. Maybe that's something we'll come back to in the Anyap. To end our discussion for Unintentional Love Story, I'll say that this surprised me at the end by how much I liked it. Because I think while I was watching it, it was somewhere between a six and a seven because I thought the leads were mostly just attractive. And I was preparing to be disappointed the way I was with Love in the Future. I was feeling like I liked the characters in a vacuum, but not as a vehicle for their narrative. And this ended up really coming together in a way that was very satisfying. And I will say that having had such a mixed bag with KBL for the last five months or so, I really like that I was able to give this show a nine and feel good about it. And I gave our dating sim a 10 and felt really good about that. I really want to see more cultures contributing to BL And I'd like to consistently enjoy those offerings. My final thoughts on Unintentional Love Story. Yeah, I give it a nine as well. I think this is the first one in this episode that we haven't fought over. (laughs) We were talking shit to each other all day like we're going to fight about this show. (laughs) But in the end, we didn't end up fighting about it. I think you and I landed in slightly different places, but a general agreement on the quality of the show. The show felt very refreshingly queer in a way that didn't feel like it was betraying either its queer audience or its traditional romance-flavored audience it was going for. And I think this is the first time a Korean show has really struck a balance with the two different perspectives it really wanted to honor. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think that this is the first time it has balanced the 
BL of it all with the K-drama of it all and had it work. Yeah, I have very few notes for this show. Ah, that's coming back around. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> And we're back. So we watched those four shows. Beyond those four shows, I also watched Love Mate, Happy Mary Ending, and Starstruck. We're going to talk about The Eighth Sense on its own. I'm having a very mixed experience with KBL overall right now. There's like snippets. There's like points of light. But for the most part... KBL and I are not having a good time together right now. Like you would have heard, most of the stuff that we watched in this, I liked it fine. But nothing really to write home about. It's mildly enjoyable. And then there's a bunch of stuff that Ben's watching that I'm, sorry, never going to watch. It just doesn't interest me. And there's more of it coming every single day. Like, I saw two new ones today alone. I am enervated by KBL right now. Korea, I don't know what you're doing right now. I want to like your content, but it feels <laughs> it feels like you're phoning a lot of it in. And even when you're not phoning it in, it feels like you're phoning it in. I don't know what has to change. I don't know what needs to happen. You're doing technically all the right things, but it's not hitting for the most part. They're fun. They're enjoyable. But nothing that I've seen yet has grabbed me by the scruff. And I feel like I need to be grabbed by the scruff. Because I know you can do it. You've done it in K-drama. Give me this sweet, sweet K-drama magic, Korea. I am begging you. I don't think it's going to happen for you until they put a solid eight weeks of content in front of you. Because you seem to be like a slow starter with a lot of the shows. And these shows end right around the time you might start getting warmed up on them. I want to like KBL. I really do. But until it starts hitting me in the chest, like the only thing that vaguely hit me in the chest was a shoulder to cry on. I wasn't even coherent about that shoulder. <laughs> no. <laughs> I listened to it the other day and I was like, no. <laughs> Going back to the recording, I wasn't even coherent about that show. I couldn't explain why I was feeling the way I was feeling about it. It's the only thing that hit me in the chest, and then it fucked up the ending. Right now, there's only like four Korean teams who have my attention. It's Strongberry, whatever Hong Dasol wants to do next, whatever the folks over at Studio Winsome who made Our Dating Sim and Love Mate want to do next. And whatever the two guys who put together The Eight Cents want to do. Are you breaking up with Watcha? It's not so much a breakup with Watcha in so much as it feels like Watcha and I are growing apart. With the studios and teams that I'm enjoying right now, they're telling complete stories. Watcha feels like they're 
pulling back on BO with the way the content is being distributed. And then all the other stuff that was on this list feels mildly incomplete. Like all the liquors feels undercooked, a shoulder to cry on, felt like they didn't go as far as they wanted because of the idols. I didn't dislike Unintentional Love Story, but doesn't stick with me. You can feel the uphill struggle in every single production. I'm an old queer in terms of my film history with the genre. And so I will stick with them through this because I understand how important our eyeballs are for this. I'm never going to allow myself to become so spoiled that I won't support the stuff that's airing. But it's damned hard sometimes to come out of the end of these things and be like, wow, the rest of you should really watch this because it's not great. We're going to be here all night if we keep doing this. So it's time to wrap this up. We came... We fought, we talked about Korea, and now we out. Say bye to the people, Ben. Peace.